Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello Australia, welcome to My Millennial Money, I'm Glenn James. Today on the podcast, we're talking about pay rise. How do I get more money? Now, for me, this is what I do. I open my podcast player, I click search, and then I type My Millennial Career. I hit subscribe, I hit follow, and then I listen to episodes of My Millennial Career. But before you do that, you're going to listen to this episode today because we've got the hosts of My Millennial Career Emily Bowen and Shelley Johnson with us. G'day girls, how are you? Hey Glenn James, I'm good. It's been a while since I've sat here with you doing the pro thing, showing us how it's done. Look, it's, uh, it's a hot minute but we're here now. Shell, what have you been doing with your life? Just hanging out, actually just looking forward to this episode with a great deal of anticipation. I love that I and know. I love your sarcasm. So <laughs> let's... <laughs> My sarcasm is often confused for seriousness, but i got to tell you, I'm 100% serious because we all want more money and that's why we're here today to talk about how to get more money in your job. Well, let's get it on. So, just for a bit of encouragement, uh, in the Facebook group, if you ever want to write any career advice or questions like that, just throw up the hashtag, hash my millennial career or hashtag career advice. Now, as a bit of a testimony from some of you in the group and some of you listeners, uh, we put up, what's the biggest pay rise you've ever received? Emily, do you want to read a couple and then we'll go around the table? Yeah, totally. So, we've got Melody, can I say their name? Yeah. Yeah, sweet. Okay, we've got Melody here (laughs) and uh, she's having a humble brag moment because her husband doubled his wage from $21 an hour to $43 an hour after completing a uni course that only took nine months. Sweet. What else have you got? We've got also, okay, this one is like a little bit crazy and I think there's a couple of little crazy ones, but we've got someone here who has answered with, Sean, 130K including super increase. So, I feel like maybe they're saying that their pay increased by 130K. That's massive. Um, Mm. And a little bit of advice from Sean is your ideas are worth it. Back yourself and be firm and deliver. I'm wondering whether maybe he started his own thing. Um, We also had someone, Shannon, go from 60 to 100K and that was based on switching companies but keeping the same role. So, that's Mm. a bit of a different scenario and 40K is a big difference doing the same thing. And you do hear from time to time people say uh, the only way to get a decent pay rise is to actually move to a different business. Shell, what did Jennifer say? So Jennifer said that when um, she started working from home during COVID, she got three hours of her day back because of not commuting and she had lower fuel costs, no train costs, and she saved $200 a fortnight, which is the best increase that she's never had to ask for. 
That's interesting, that one, isn't it? It's like it goes to that thinking, how can I increase my money without a pay rise? I guess it goes to that old idea that you spend whatever you earn. So increasing your pay, you know, it might be helpful or you could just save money by not commuting and not eating out as much. Now, Shell, a question for you because we did speak about this before we hit record with Sean's 130 grand, including super increase. Now, we don't know all these details. And we, we started to hypothesize like, did Sean change jobs? Did he change industries? Did he change careers? Or was he actually just getting screwed and earning the company in a sales role a million dollars a year and he'll, he was only getting paid 50 grand to start with? Like, do you think a pay rise is when you change jobs? No. No, I don't think a pay rise, what, what, I, th- what I associate as a pay rise is when you're in the same company and you go, that's that awkward conversation where you go to your boss and you ask them for more money. That's what I think about, about, I don't think me going from say HR consulting in one business to another and getting paid 80 grand more for it in another business is a pay rise. That's changing jobs. And when you change jobs, you can get more money for sure. What I think Mm. we want to talk about is how do you in your current business ask for more money or how at the beginning of employment, say you're in a recruitment process, do you negotiate with a recruiter, with a hiring manager for more money? Yeah. So Emily, you work uh, as a recruiter. What is the general recruiting process? Okay. General recruiting process, if whether you're working with a recruiter or not, is to apply for the job to be invited to interview and perhaps a few other assessments as well. So that might be skills assessment, psychometric assessment. Ultimately, there'll be a couple of reference checks and then you'll receive a job offer. Now, we talk in My Millennial Career about all sorts of other ways to get a job. It's not all about applying to an advertisement, but if we're just keeping it super general and simple, that's what it looks like. When there's a recruiter involved, they're basically your guide throughout that recruitment process. So if you've ever worked with a mortgage broker or somebody else who's a professional in their industry when you're making a big life change and they're that person that you're able to go to or they come to you and say, okay, next, here's what we need to do. A recruiter is really similar to that. So you have a heap of different companies that pay you to find talent. Yeah, that's right. So that is a really important thing to call out. Our We have two sets of customers as a recruiter. One is our client who is the company. So they're the actual organization that's looking to fill a vacancy. And the other customer is what we call our candidates. So that's someone like the listeners who are applying for or looking for a new job. But really important to recognize that the person that pays our bills is the company. Interestingly though, we won't get, we won't have a bill for them to pay unless we have a really wonderful candidate to sell to them. So just on that, and I do know, um, and noting Shell's comments, we want to focus, you know, once you're in a role, but let's just deviate for one moment. You want to get a pay rise and you think that there's no deal or any other money that's available at your current employer or the culture sucks and you want out there, you want out of there anyway. So you fired a, an advertisement for another role with a recruiter. Uh, it could be the same or a little bit less than what you're on. Do you have any scope if someone comes and says, Emily, I want to go for this role. It's advertised for $75,000. I'm on 70 at the moment. Um, I'll, I've 
I'm over-experienced a little bit. I think I'm worth 80. Is there any scope that you can go back to the employer or your client and ask them to kick the bucket a little bit more with another five grand? Totally. So, a couple of things to think about here. One is that a recruiter is there not only to guide you through the recruitment process, but also to be the expert who's guiding the employer, their organization, the organization through the process as well. And so what that means is as a recruiter, it's really important that we have really intense, intimate knowledge of our market, that we have a really good understanding of how much is it going to cost you, Mr. or Mrs. Client, in order to secure the talent that you're looking for. And one of the ways that we're able to get the answer to that is actually by talking to the talent, talking to the candidates and hearing from them when we're actually in market on a roll. And they come to us and they say, look, I'm probably seeking five or 10K more than what you're pitching this job as. Can we have a conversation about that? Now, the caveat is you need to be the right candidate. So we won't just do this for anybody. But if you are the person that we can see is going to add genuine value to our client, then we're going to go back to our client and we're absolutely going to represent that because we want the best outcome for everybody. So we have that up our sleeve or that sort of position in the negotiation, but particularly when you get to the pointy end as well, and that's when you've got the most power in a negotiation. So there is a dance that you need to do and be guided through in a recruitment process. But when you get to the pointy end and you're the preferred candidate, that is when you're in the strongest possible position that you will ever be in to negotiate the best salary or wage that you can. And a recruiter, they do this every single day. So where you might not be well-practiced, skilled, confident in negotiating a salary for yourself, you'll still need to do a little bit of that with the recruiter. But there's so much pressure that's taken away that they carry for you because they are that that middle sort of point of contact for you to help with that dance. And just with that, Emily, could there be sometimes that the talent on mass has to reset the expectations of the company that, you know, there's a labor shortage or a, a, a good quality people shortage. Because I know for a fact, like if this podcasting thing doesn't work out for me, I'm going to a financial planning office and I'll do admin at the moment because there is such a talent shortage and a fight for good quality admin managers and all that stuff in financial planning businesses Uh, Like I'd be just there straight away because I know I could probably get 80 grand. Yeah. So, Absolutely. It's supply and demand. So the Mm. employment market moves in the same way that any market does in that you've got a supply and demand uh, sort of interaction. And sometimes it's such that the job supply outweighs the candidate supply. Other times that's flipped. So that absolutely plays into your negotiating position and whether or not you'll be able to get that extra 5K than what's advertised. Michelle, would you like to add any comments to that? Oh, I was just going to say, Em, and this might be like, I don't know, a bit controversial, I'm not sure, but it's, it's also in the recruiter's interest, am I correct, in increasing the salary because they get a cut of that from the employer, is that right? It's right in the sense that sometimes a fee, a recruitment fee can be structured from a percentage point of view. So it'll be a percentage of the salary salary. package that's agreed. Other times though, it's already agreed as a fixed fee. So irrelevant of what that salary actually ends up, the fee is fixed. But what I would say is that quite frankly, a recruiter wants the job filled. They want to make sure that they 
move through projects as quickly as possible because as long as a project is open, time kills all good deals and there's a higher chance that that problem's going to disappear and no longer you know, need a candidate, the client's going to get upset or frustrated or impatient and they're going to say, you know what, you're not finding me someone quick enough, don't worry about it. So the difference when you're negotiating 5 or 10K, the difference that that actually tips into a percentage-based fee when it is a percentage-based fee, it's so nominal, it's so low priority that it doesn't actually influence the negotiation as much as I think sometimes can be assumed. Um, That said, what I would um, suggest is that recruiters, at the end of the day, they want the best outcome for their client and they want the best outcome for their candidate for the reasons that I've described. I mean, like any good business, you want repeat customers. So if you do a good job with your client, they're going to give you more work. That's a win. If you do a good job with that candidate, a lot of the time that candidate's going to become a client either now or in the future as they grow in their career and become a decision maker. So it's not as simple as, um, I guess, being fee-based. There's more to it like that as with any good customer experience. But I would say to that, uh, Emily and Shell, like in commercial land, if a recruiter was on a percentage base and increasing the salary to shake down the employer, like they're only going to last 10 minutes in the business because if they feel like they're getting taken advantage of, well, I'll take my recruiting elsewhere. So That's right. Uh, but it's a good question because a lot of people will be thinking about these angles. Um, and what I want to just share now, we did a survey uh, with listeners of My Millennial Career and we won't share all the results, but we will actually share now just to frame this discussion, what would make you happier in your current role? The number one thing people said was more money. It's 70% of respondents. The second thing was a better team culture. The third thing was, I just want to be valued. Now, if we swing back to Shell, we know the big thing is I'd be happier with more money. What are the steps to take to approach your employer for more money? And then at what point do you say, well, you're not giving me more money, the culture here sucks and I'm not valued anyway, so get stuffed. Like what's the progression? Uh, And I just want to tip our cap to those who might be in a health role or something where there actually is no room to negotiate uh, in a government role or something like that. So I mean, there's a lot there, Shell, but can you just take what you will and uh, start talking? Yeah, so we have a little <laughs> process we like people to follow when they're asking for a pay rise. And this just really sets you up for the best chance of getting that extra cash. So the first thing we want to do when we're thinking about I'd like more money is to do your research. So you start by looking at the industry data. You might jump on Hayes or you can even look at what's happening Um, in wage growth on the ABS. It's a bit like dry if you're thinking about um, data, but it does help you to see, well, what's happening in in wage growth in different industries. And so form that research together, give yourself a bit of an idea about what's happening. Then from there, we start to prepare your case. So your next step is just that preparation phase where you start thinking about, well, Glenn, what value am I bringing to this business? And one of the things we see in in this is that often people will 
really just focus on like their immediate role and what they're doing and like I'm doing XYZ task and that's great but it's better if you go in and you say here's the value that I'm bringing and here's how it connects to the business strategy. So say for example the business has said we want to see 30% growth in our online traffic on our socials and all that. Okay well if you're working in a content role you can show how your contribution links to that strategic goal and then try to put a dollar figure on it. If you can find a way to kind of show the tangible value, that's going to have you a better chance of success when you're saying, here's what I've done. Here's how it connects to the strategy. It's saved the business X money or it's created X opportunity. And that equates with this dollar figure. And if I can call out there, I think something that is a is important to recognize is that we're talking there about taking things that you have actually achieved. So you're taking your performance that has evidence and you're using that in your pitch as opposed to uh, making promises around what you will do in the future. So it's this idea of performance first potential. You're going to, you're going to get a lot further in your argument and be a lot more persuasive if you talk about what you have achieved rather than trying to make promises about what you will do when you get the pay rise. Exactly. That's right, Em. It's like, how do you find, I, I think it's, it's, we don't often do this, but let's try and quantify the value you've provided to the business. Like get really clear on that. So if you're working accounting and you identified that putting this new technology in will save us two hours a week from each employee, well, find out what the average salary is in that business. You, if you're in accounting, you might have access to that information. Find that out, calculate it, work it out, take that to the business state and here's how much I've saved through this, empl- uh, this process enhancement. And therefore, can I have an extra 10K? As opposed to, I will do this if you give me the extra 10K. Just as a, um, a question there, Shell, and again, if you work for Simo Interactive, my company, stop listening from that right now. Uh, but on that, if you say, oh, I think I've added 10 grand worth of value already, and I think I can do another 10 grand next year, would you get a bit cute and say, so I'm asking for 15,000? Like, would you add on it just to, because everyone wants a good deal. Everyone wants to feel like they've got a deal. So, you know, if Shell, you came to me and said, oh, I want 15,000 and I'm like, what about 10? I think I've got a good deal. You think you've got a good deal. And yeah, what do you do there? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a negotiation, isn't it? It's taking what, and one of the things that I think is really important in this conversation, Glenn, is confidence. So, you do tend to see, and I've seen so many people ask for pay rises over the years and M would have seen it as well, especially in that early part of their employment where they're really reticent about it. They're like coming, they're hesitant. They're like, oh, um, Glenn, like just been thinking about this and can you consider it maybe if this is an opportunity? And it's like, no, no, just be bold. Don't be a jerk. And there's certain things to look out for, but still be confident that, I've add value. Here's how I add it. And Glenn, I'd love to have a discussion with you about my pay. Just being confident. And what do you think about that though? Well, I agree with you. You need to talk about this idea of um, not surprising anyone because we haven't talked about that yet. And that's so key. I feel like something that people can do, you're right, that shows a lack of confidence is almost saying before, you know, as part of that pitch, oh, but it's okay if I can't. And it's like you're already sort of backing away from the deal before it's already been done. What I really like to try and channel is more of a sense of 
This is just a frank conversation. Sure, it's a bit uncomfortable to talk about money, but it's just one of those hygiene factors that if you can almost remove as much as possible any emotion from it, just be really courteous, polite, don't surprise anybody and have an adult chat about it. That's usually a nicer tone to the conversation than if you're being uh, overly confident or you're shying away from it and being perhaps too reserved or timid or doing yourself out of that good deal, as you say. So you've mentioned number one, do your research. Number two, prepare your case. Is there a third? Yeah. So I guess it goes to what Emma's just saying. It's when you actually come into that conversation. So we have no surprise principle, like don't drop the bomb on your manager and text them and say, hey, Glenn, I'm out unless you give me an extra 15K. Glenn's going to be like, see ya. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, we all know, like set the meeting up. Have a, have a conversation saying, Glenn, I'd love to talk about pay with you. Can we set aside some time in the next fortnight to connect or whenever suits you? I just want to allow some time to discuss it openly. And so then you're really prepping them for what the conversation's about. Then you come into that meeting and you've really got your pitch there. It's that stuff that you've prepared. So you're going in with, here's how I create value. Here's what I'm doing in my role. And then here's the increase I'm asking for. So you want to have that really clear in your mind. Like sometimes people just go in and say, I want a salary review. And yeah, that might be helpful, but I personally think it's better to try and take a percentage or a dollar figure in with you to set the framework or the parameters of the discussion. Yeah, that's really helpful. And I'm a little bit basic. So that's why I like the steps, like do your research. And also just on that shell, I was thinking like of asking you a question, like it's got to be location-based, like you can't compare Sydney to Perth. Uh, So, but that overarching thing, I just wrote down, you know, don't be tone deaf. Like we've just gone through a pandemic you know, if your business has been shut down for four months, we're well, not walking in tomorrow saying, friggin' give me a pay rise or if they've just laid off a holy people. So it's this tone deaf and being aware that, you know, yes, I've done well, but I don't live in a silo. Um, it may be just be that you just need to keep some notes and some track. And then when things are back to normal and maybe in a couple of months even, Uh, then start to have these conversations. Well, that's right. And that's why we say do your research. So Em and I are both really big on that preparation piece where you need to look at, if we, we look at construction compared to retail and hospitality, like construction is booming. It's doing really well as opposed to retail and hospitality in a pandemic that have just been in lockdown for a long time at the time of this recording and have taken a massive hit. And so having the sensitivity to know what's happening in your organisation, but also broader in your industry is really important when we come to these conversations. So is it a, a more just a fact that if you work for the government or a non-for-profit, uh, you might not be getting a pay rise if you walk in and say, give me more money? And what do you think? <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's like the hand grenade over. I know. I'm like, you're the one that's worked in a not-for-profit. So, look, there's um, pros and cons to the way that if we just take government, for example, uh, is structured when it comes to remuneration. Potentially a pro is that you've got a more clear path through remuneration bands that are more transparent, more open. You've got more structure around what do you need to do in order to move through those, and they're typically going to be associated with a change in responsibility or change in role. 
Uh, so what you know perhaps doesn't quite fit the purest definition of a pay rise. But the con is that yeah, it, it's got that rigidity, and that means that it's got, in my experience going to be more difficult for you to have a conversation about a discretionary pay rise. Your boss is probably going to be unlikely or not likely at all to be able to make that decision on their own. There's going to be a process to go through. And as I say, it's going to be based on banding that applies to everybody across the board in comparison to a private company where it is more discretionary, you've got more fluidity, but potentially a con that some people might not like is that it's more grey. There's not a sense for what the next remuneration band looks like and what exactly needs to happen to get you there. Yeah, I love that you've called out the con because I think the structure that comes in government is so helpful to be able to say, you move up every year, you get reviewed and and you have these levels. And then once you maybe max out, it is looking at other roles. It is harder, say, let's take not-for-profit where, you know, it is open, it's discretionary how do you approach your manager in those climates and know what is the percentage I'm asking for or what is the dollar figure when all these conversations are confidential? And I think, Glenn, back to the conversation you and I had with Mary Wooldridge the other day from the Gender Equality Agency, and she said this thing that was awesome around before you have the meeting, ask your manager what is the standard percentage increase that's given because it just gives you a sense of what you're working in as opposed to just going in blind to these conversations. Yeah, it's a philosophical thing, the whole government worker thing. And you, you hear the story of like the council workers, you know, how many council workers does, does it take to f- fix a pothole? And it's like, oh, well, 15, obviously, uh, and only one with a shovel or some analogy like that. But like I was talking to somebody who worked at a hospital, local hospital here, they were in admin and He'd been there for a million years and he's like, look, I've just given up because I'm a hard worker, but I sit next to someone who just bludges all day. We both at the end of the fortnight get paid. So why should I actually care? And they're not going to fire me. Like he goes, it's just all ridiculous. Like, so you know what? 501 every day, see ya. Like, cause no one cares. And I guess that's the the dance with your own personal constitution and integrity or whatnot. But uh, uh, the guy I was talking to certainly was over it and uh, had been in that system for many, many years. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, uh, it goes back to what do you want from your workplace, doesn't it? What kind of environment? And your life. Well, and sometimes you want to work in an environment where you just, you, you, you rock in and you finish up and there isn't that extra effort and personally like I I think that is there's times in your life where you really need that and so mm. yes agree yeah <laughs> um, I don't know if we've solved much of the world's problems there but what happens Shell if you do your magic formula and there is a glass ceiling there is this resistance there is this culture of we don't value people you're a number, we want bums on seats, you know, at what point do you then start to pick up the phone and talk to Em? Because as an employer, the last thing I would want, and if you're my staff members, you can tune back in about now, the last thing I would want is this, all of a sudden, hi, Glenn, I quit. Well, Glenn, you can't have it both ways because if you don't (laughs) want people quitting, you've got to talk to them about money. (laughs) Um, Well, I guess my example is like... (laughs) You don't want to. You want to give your employer some grace and have a conversation with them if you value a long-term thing. 
but there comes a time where it's like, well, you've told me I'll have a pay rise for the last six years and nothing's happened. I'm out of here. Six years. <laughs> <laughs> like it gets to a point, right? Yeah. And and you're right. So it goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning where we were defining this whole conversation. You can you can have these, there's various pathways. It's like choose your own adventure book where you go, I want a pay rise and I want to stay in my current with my current employer. Okay, well, that's this conversation. I, I want to increase my salary at the point of recruitment, which is what we were talking about with M, or my, I'm never going to get more money here. I've maxed out. I'm in the council job, hit the band, the top of the band. Well, then it's time to move on. And that's where you've got those kind of three scenarios of how you increase the money that you're earning and it's picking which one's right for you at this time. But what do you think, M? Because... Oh, look, I just feel like I'm holding back because I know that this is a pay chat, but I'm holding back. Don't these, hold back. <laughs> these just don't hold back. But these thoughts Th- around. This like, is my podcast. <laughs> Trash this one. You can hold back on your one. Before I can go outside of yeah. the brief. Uh, so look, what, I'm, what I've been just holding back and I guess tussling with in my mind is this idea that none of this happens in a vacuum. So we can sit here and we can have a conversation that is an awesome conversation for half an hour about how do you increase your pay? But when you're moving through the world, nothing is that simple and at no time in your career will it ever be that simple. So there are there are so many different things interacting with each other. Sometimes your pay is, I mean, the ultimate goal for me personally, and I really believe in this, is if you can get your salary to a point where it's just not even on your mind, it's like not even a point of conversation and if ever it starts to become one, you deal with it and you move on, it then allows you, it frees you up to focus on what I strongly believe are more important things like learning opportunities, like career progression, like the contribution that you're making to having a really awesome team culture, like other, you know, values-based sort of motivators or things that you receive from your work, having a sense of purpose. So for me, I think we just need to be careful as we start to get into the weeds on pay to remember that I don't think it will ever just be about pay because having the highest salary will not keep you in a sustainable place from a well-being point of view, a happiness at work point of view. You know, it doesn't fix culture. Yeah, we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back and bring it home and answer a question from the Facebook group. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Okay, we're back. So Emily, you kind of, before the break, were talking about, you know, it's not about pay. And as you were saying that, I actually wrote down one, two, three, four, five, six words. Can either of you guess what the six words are? Are they like a sentence or are they a random Yes, select? it's a statement. Buy Glenn's book now, please, people. No, sort what? your money out. Oh, sort that's your money out <laughs> and get invested. One, two, three, four, five, oh, six. six. Yeah, there we go. Sort your money out and get invested. That's the six words. No, what... Um, <laughs> it's not all about pay. That's not... That's fine. No, so I wrote down... Be careful what you wish for. Oh, because, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have guessed that, but that's good. Yeah, because so like you could be like, oh, I really could do with an extra $30 a week or $100 a week. Awesome. But you kick that sleeping, sleeping dog or whatever and, you know, 
you're going to have to step up and actually work harder and deliver. So, you know, but that also swings back around to it's not about the money. Like, do you want a genuine job to just fund your lifestyle? And I live lean and it's all good. I can blow in and blow out. I love it and all that. But be careful because you go down that road and you might have some expectations in your life that could cause other life stresses. So, so Em, do you have any you know, comments on that while I bring up one of these anonymous questions? Oh, look, words of wisdom. And I, I think for me, it's so personal. So it's personal in the sense that each individual will be different and what they're willing to have more of, you know, dial up or dial down in their life will be very different to the next person. But on top of that, even for you as an individual, it will change through your life. So you might at one point want to dial up the money as high as you can and you're willing to give up more of your time or your relationships and yet at other times you wouldn't give up your relationships or time for anything, for any money. And I love that what you said before, Em, of one of the best indicators of if your pay is good is if you never have to think about it. And pay is good doesn't mean pay is the highest that you could possibly earn for what you do. Pay is good just means that you are feeling like your life is in check and you are getting the time that you want, you're getting the money to do the things you want. There's harmony. Yeah, that's it. And also the third thing that people wanted, people are feeling valued. Like if you feel valued, like... The pay is secondary to that. Yep. And that's what interested me about that survey because I think when you said, Glenn, at the top there that there was three things that people wanted. They want more money. They want career progression. They want to feel valued in that order. I actually think the order should be reversed because I think it should be, I want to feel valued. I want to work in an environment where I am valued as a person and for my contribution. I want to have opportunities to progress. And then money should come third to that because – if we have the first two things, money will actually flow out of that. We will be more likely to get pay rises without, I guess, having to push or, or slam down the door to get it. Yeah, we've we've talked before about our, uh, I guess, busting the myth on five. an extra 5K is going to make you happy because often we, we do fall into that trap of thinking, if I just hit the 70K mark, if I just hit that 100K mark, all of a sudden I would be really happy at work. I'd feel valued because I'm earning more money. But in my experience, that is not what happens. You get a short-term hit of dopamine or, you know, whatever chemicals hitting your brain that might last for a little while, but the tail runs out pretty quickly and you're back feeling like something's missing and and there's a sense of emptiness or a lack of satisfaction. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, it's also circumstantial And I want to finish on a couple of things. Number one, if you want more career tips, more career help, more career encouragement, make sure you do go over and subscribe to My Millennial Career. But there's a a statement here. We we might all, uh, actually, Shell, can I get you to read it? It's the second one on that second page from Anonymous. And then we'll each have one or two line comments and we'll call it a day. Hey, looking for some career advice. I've just been asked to fill in for my manager while they're on leave until the end of the year. Since they're not going to fill my current role in the meantime, I need to balance both my team member duties and my management duties. I've been told that I'll be a part-time manager and a part-time team member, basically. I'm totally fine, but they only want to pay me 50% of the manager's salary. Does this sound crazy to anyone else? I work for a big uni, 
by the way. So it's not like they're going to go bankrupt paying me a full-time higher salary for a few months. Plus, I figure there's no harm in negotiating. Just looking for some tips as to handle the conversation and convince them that the work that I'm doing is worth the higher salary. How would you respond to the offer? So, just so I can repeat it to myself, they are, so it's, this was sent in at August, September, October, November. So, four months doing the manager's role. But then only getting paid 50%. Right. Yes, hot. Of that manager's Yeah. What would you do, M? This is a funny one. The way that like very personally I am built is I would do the manager's role without a pay increase for that period because the payoff for me would be the opportunity for career progression in a non-monetary way. Uh, So that is how I've handled it in the past in my career and it's worked time and time again. Now, that's me. Uh, If you decide you are somebody where that pay increase for that period is important, then you can still use Shell's advice and that formula for talking about getting a pay increase. But you need to remember that the way for that to be successful is to actually have evidence. And so until until you've started in this role, you don't actually have any proof that you're worth being paid the full manager's salary when you're only expected to do the manager's role 50% of the time. So, on paper, that makes it a pretty difficult negotiation and I think you need to be very careful about how you're going to be perceived if you come in too hot too soon. I totally agree, Em. I would not recommend asking for the full salary and I would also go as far to say that if you're doing a higher duties gig for a short-term period, that you are not doing the manager's gig. That manager might have been in that role for 10 years and they've gotten a number of increases to get to the salary that they're on and that means that you, in my opinion, are not going to be adding the same level of value that they've added and have the experience that they have. That's a really blunt way of putting it. And the authority. Yeah, and you're not going to have the expectation. The business... I can guarantee is not expecting you to fulfill, I mean, they've told you this, but even from a thought leadership point of view and that thinking that comes with with a full-time leadership role and that experience you've just described, Shell, they're not expecting that of you. Quite frankly, they're expecting you to keep the wheels turning and they're seeing potential in you to give you an opportunity to prove that you could actually do this and therefore progress your career beyond December. And I, I think what would be important in this scenario is go in to your boss and just clarify the expectations because I think the challenge is that you're doing this other part-time role, that your former role, and that that may, the workload may be unreasonable. So, talk about that rather than talking about the money. That's how I would be approaching it. And keep talking about it. So, you know, make sure that you've got monthly check-ins scheduled to, to not only be careful and cautious and make sure it's working for you along the way, but also to make sure that it's working for them because that's where you will will get that genuine payoff of other opportunities in the future. Yeah. And I absolutely believe, yeah, for four months, you know, intern role, number one, thanks for them for coughing up that money uh, because it's actually, it's after the fact that the institution either has a billion dollars or no money. Like you can't have that in your thought process when negotiating because it's none of your business. Um, But secondly, it's only four months. It's great that they have paid you. You might actually hate the role. (laughs) 
So, and it's like that, be careful what you wish for. They might say, all right, we'll load you up, but we're going to swamp you. And now you're going to answer emails at 10 p.m. because we don't pay overtime and all this stuff. So, but I will say is my overarching comment, particularly how I run my business, and you can use the same mindset as an employee. I have a very, very long memory. And if someone looks after me, you know, a couple of years ago, there will come a time where I will remember that and I'll look after them. So that being said, have a very long memory of this time. If in, because things change, if in eight months time, the temporary role that you're filling, that person leaves the business, your long memory comes to play if they parachute in another manager or they recruit you up to the role. I would hypothesize if you're being committed to the business and that person leaves and they don't at least consider you and talk with you and parachute someone else in without a bloody good reason, I think your memory needs to come into play and say, well, am I actually valued here for what I bring to the team? Yeah. Amen. Mm. So you've been listening to My Millennial Career. I'm your new host, Glenn James. (laughs) You got a promotion, career progression, but no pay rise. But no pay rise, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, just, you know, initiative. It's great. Yeah. So that's my two cents on it. Uh, hang in there. It's Things change. Like people go on maternity leave and never go back to work, don't they, Shell? Yeah. Look, I'm, I consider myself just leisure. I just leisure. Work. Lady of leisure. Lady of leisure. She can't even talk. She's that yeah. leisurely. I mean, not too much of a break. I just, you know. Yeah. So things change. It's fluid. In the corporate world, Five, six a year isn't a long amount of time. Hang in there. That's right. Just to close this conversation in the last one minute that Mm. we have, if it's just worth saying, when you go into this conversation with your manager, you want to have this beautiful balance of humility and confidence. So find that pathway. And one word of advice would be, don't say this, I'm underpaid. Please don't say that because mm. that typically is a red flag, a red rag to the employer. They don't like that phrase. I think I'm being underpaid, so I would need a pay rise. Just try and come at it from a different angle. Yeah, I yeah. agree. And leave park any personal goals. So the fact that you want to buy a house, unfortunately, is not convincing to get a pay rise. Um, what other people are paid is is not going to set a nice tone for the conversation either. So hopefully just follow Shell's formula and stay away from And just those. because the boss has heaps of money doesn't mean you should get heaps of money because you've got to work for it and risk everything as well. Yeah, that's right. and that's why it comes back to figuring out how do you contribute value to that business. And that wasn't directed at my team. <laughs> you seriously. did tell them to start listening again. So. I did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, it, but it goes back to that comment. It's like I know the university has all the money in the world no, nothing to do with this discussion. And actually, universities have lost so much money because they of have. so many factors with the international exchange. So I think those things, you know, park it. All right. You can listen to My Millennial Career wherever you're listening to this podcast. Uh, Shell and Emma have another heap of weekly episodes coming right at you from now until the end of time. Amen. Life contract. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much. Fun to hang out. Thanks, ladies. Bye. 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 
we acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.